my advice to nursing leaders is create that culture of letting people know how much you appreciate them by including them in meetings with hard decisions. Shared governance practices, including everyone. That's how you create a culture of retention. And unfortunately, until the retention budget is higher than your recruitment budget, I'm always going to have a job as a recruiter in this marketplace. Hello and welcome to The Handoff, a podcast about the most critical topics in nursing. My guest today is one of the leading voices on LinkedIn on all things healthcare recruitment, and she has some strong opinions about today's hiring market and what both sides need to do to succeed. Krista Whitting is the Vice President of Healthcare Recruitment for Parkwood International, where she specializes in acute care leadership in Southern Texas. Today, we talk about what candidates can do to stand out in the hiring process, including those with non-traditional backgrounds, the skills she's seeing more and more hospitals look for, and her advice to hiring managers on how to get talent in the door faster. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, no, this is great. I told you before the show, I'm a LinkedIn stalker of yours because I just really enjoy your content, the karaoke, which we'll talk about later, and just all of your advice for healthcare leaders and nurses and you know, really anyone in this space on how they can be better prepared to find roles. So before we jump into some of the questions, would love to hear sort of what are you up to lately? What's the latest sort of project on Krista's docket? Lots of projects, Dan, you know, focusing on the recruiting industry, you know, educating the hiring authorities on how to more effectively find the talent that they're so desperately asking for, but it seems the recruiting process is broken. So I don't mind leaning into uncomfortable truths for how to fix it. And it might not be what hiring authorities want to hear, but it's what we need to do in order to fix this process and make it better and more efficient for everyone. So that's first and foremost. Second, Karaoke for a Cause is coming up next week, so I'm very excited about that. I love both of those, and I know you're vocal about both, literally vocal in the karaoke side. (laughs) Some of your songs (laughs) are so good, Uh, and your memes are also amazing. So before we dive into some of the specific tactics, you know, I would love your take on just the industry as a whole. So where are we at with supply and demand? You know, is it an employer or an employee market? So what is sort of your view of the job market in healthcare at the moment? Right now, we're certainly in a candidate-driven market. You know, for every one candidate speaking to your hospital, most likely they're speaking to three others. And so the name of the game is making decisions quickly on hires. You know, get them the best comp package that you can, interview quickly and efficiently. But most importantly, just give people closure if they don't get the job. People won't shatter from a no, but I think false hope is unkind because candidates are looking for that right fit. And so that's what I'm trying to educate folks on in the interview process is let's get to answers faster. Let's recalibrate what we're looking for in terms of the candidate market. And you have to roll out the red carpet for these candidates. Otherwise, they will not choose you as the employer. They have several other choices. So we have to be proactive in our marketing strategies to get the talent that we want. And how do you source that talent? So obviously, you know, you're, you're on the platforms and can reach out and share content and, and build that network that way. But how are you finding some of the top talent in other ways? Well, luckily, most people put their lives online. So LinkedIn is one of the largest professional sources of healthcare professionals. I can go and see someone's profile, but also just the internet's a beautiful way to research other folks. It's all too easy to say, well, who's a surgical director at NYU? Oh, it's blankety blank. And so 
we have an internet resource that sources those candidates for me. And I do it old school style. I will just call people and initiate a conversation because no matter what, my interview process has to start in trust and relationship building. I love that. I was just thinking as you were saying that, like if if you called me, would I actually answer the phone or not? Or would I wait, let it go to voicemail and then I'd text you back that I don't want to talk to you? <laughs> anyway, that's the, that's, the, that's the borderline millennial in me, I think. But I love that approach, right? It's not just one. Uh, you know, one of the things, and actually this dives into one of the questions I want to ask you, which is, you know, what's your advice for candidates in order to sort of set themselves apart? And one thing that we teach in the Master's in Innovation Program at Ohio State, and I've told to many of my other colleagues is LinkedIn is probably one of the best investments I've ever made in my career. And it's led to so many opportunities, whether that's just networking or jobs or consulting work or just a connection to ask a question. I really think that that is the new resume. You know, what are some of those things in addition to LinkedIn that candidates can do to really set themselves apart as they're applying for roles? Absolutely. So preparation is key. You know, I've seen strong leaders on paper, at least, get passed over by candidates with less tenure simply because of how well they present themselves in the interview. So I give people three homework assignments when they're preparing for that job interview. They have to research the organization they're going to speak with. They need to know their metrics and be the most personalized version of their professional self. As you mentioned, LinkedIn is a great tool to find out information about the people you're going to be interviewing with. Look them up, see where they went to college, see what projects they're rolling out with their hospitals. Also remember, companies are looking for the following traits in high potential healthcare leaders. They're looking for someone with high energy, passion for what they do, knowledge of who they are, and candidates that are running to them and not away from something else. That's a big red flag if you talk a lot of smack about the hospital you're about to leave. So I always tell folks, treat it like a date and personalize your answers to that specific hospital. Now, Dan, you wouldn't go on a date and say, well, I'm looking for a girl with pretty eyes. That sounds weird. So you'd probably tell that girl, oh, Sally, your eyes are gorgeous. You need to personalize your answers this way in the interview process as well. You know, I'm interested in your hospital because of something specific about them, either as a leader or a system. Secondly, I tell people they need to know their numbers. You'd be shocked at how many resumes I see that don't tell me how many beds your hospital has, let alone FTEs or patient satisfaction scores. If these numbers are not included in your interview or on your resume, How can someone differentiate your hospital from a level one trauma center versus a critical access? But last but not least, remember that hiring authorities want to hear the reason. You want to be in healthcare in the first place. You know, what personal experience led you down this path? They want to hear your passion for helping other people. And this authentic approach can humanize you. And is the difference between someone that wants a job and someone that's answering a calling. Ultimately, people hire people that they like. So that genuine conversation with the interviewer can set you apart from the rest of the competition. Yeah, that's such great advice. And similar things when I'm looking at colleagues and they're sharing that they're searching for roles and things. And I really try and say, 
you know, in those bullet points on your resume, not only quantitative number of beds, impact dollars, you know, staff count, reports, those type of things, but also the qualitative piece. If you can pull in a story or bullets around a story and then use that to tell that story in the interview, I think those are the things that make connections and the stories really sort of speak to your passion and, and really prepare some of those key stories because that you know you're going to get asked that. Tell me about a time, blah, 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 you know, and so have some of those queued up with numbers, quantitative and qualitative <laughs> that allow you to sort of connect with uh, hiring a manager. Absolutely. Let me tell you, my favorite interview story was with a surgical director named Becky from Pennsylvania. She was interviewing down here in Texas, and she shared with me about a time she had a contest with her staff. She promised if they can make their patient satisfaction scores go to the 95th percentile by November, she would come to work the week of Thanksgiving dressed as a turkey. So they did it, and she did just that. <laughs> of course, I asked if she had pictures, and she did, and I urged her to bring them to the interview. And she was like, no, and I just insisted. I insisted because this incredibly fun quality about her shows the soft skills my clients are wanting to hire for. Not only that she was a team player, but a team leader that got buy-in from her staff. And I kid you not, Dan, 30 minutes after her interview, they made her an offer and she got the job. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but that's that shows her commitment, right? Follow through, engagement, you know, making life fun. Those are the stories that I think, like you said, they resonate and people can see in that one action your commitment to your team. And that sets you way apart than just putting a bunch of bullet points on a piece of paper. Absolutely. One of the other things that I get asked a lot, I'd love your opinion on this, and in, especially in the innovation space in my network, are people that sort of take the non-traditional path. They don't necessarily go from charge nurse to manager to director to CNO or or any iteration of that to academia and go up the tenured kind of direction. Or you know, They've sort of bounced around within healthcare, all for good reason, because they're interested in other things. So when you have sort of that non-traditional candidate what is some advice for them to sort of relate to the role, even though they may not have had that exact role, but they have sort of the skill set that the hiring manager is asking for? You know, how do they present themselves when they don't have that sort of linear path that many hiring managers sort of write off when they're looking through resume packages? So one thing I want candidates to understand is that the top two requested skill sets I'm asked of have nothing to do with clinical competencies. So if you have a non-traditional healthcare pathway and you're that's okay because you have transferable skill sets with leadership, with business making decisions, being an effective communicator in other areas of healthcare that you can thrive in as long as healthcare leaders give you the opportunity to shine and do so. And so those top two things, being an effective communicator and having a business mindset those can go into all facets of healthcare, whether you're in surgical services, critical care, informatics. Great leaders have mastered the art of persuading others into action. So if you want your employers to be receptive of your vision, they need to be attentive of what you have to say. And more importantly, they should like and trust you. Yeah. And I think you hit on the key point that is really great, which is, you know, leadership in all its forms is persuading people and making yes. building building relationships, having those connections and influencing decision making. And so 
whether you're an informatics nurse trying to look at a management role or you're a manager looking for a innovation role, it really is the same sort of skill set in a different context. And so really telling stories about that and showing impact about influencing people, I think some of the other pieces of those roles you can learn. You know, anyone can get online and figure out how to do a budget. And, you know, those are sort of things that are sometimes overweighted versus that personal relationship skill that you can really learn in any role. Absolutely. I always tell hiring authorities, hire someone that's at 80% skill set fit if they are 100% culture fit. Love that. All right. So I want to switch us over into the hiring manager sort of advice section now as well. So before we started recording, you mentioned it takes up to 90 days or a little bit over 90 days in order to have a surgical services professional hired onto the team. So that, that time to hire, three months. That to me is ridiculous. If you have an open role and you can interview X many candidates in a couple of weeks, you should be making decisions much faster. So I would love to hear sort of the state of the industry on the time to hire side, and maybe we can dive into some of the recommendations on the, how do we speed that up? I mean, you said it right there, just speed it up. Yeah. Come to a decision quickly, right? So I'm quite vocal online about how to fix the recruiting process because it's broken. You know, it's convoluted. It's exhausting. So in my personal opinion, not biased at all, (laughs) if you have a trusted recruiting partner to vet candidates and tell your hospital story on a large marketing scale, you can decrease this fill time exponentially as long as you make decisions quickly. So in my opinion, Lean Six Sigma is the most effective way to hire in today's job market. In recruiting, that means eliminating unnecessary steps in the interview process to get the right hire as efficiently as possible. You know, it's tedious, it's exhausting, and if it takes too long, a candidate can flame out on their interest anyway. So let's untangle it. Stop wearing people out. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I've, I've experienced that, you know, where there's this hope and, you know, the email comes across, I need more time we're figuring some stuff out. I need more time. And you're like, okay, more time sounds good. Maybe that's a week or two weeks and then three weeks and then a month and then two months. And you're like, emailing back, Hey, well, you know, how's that time coming? Oh no, we need a little bit more time. And then you're sort of like, it sort of feels like they're waiting for somebody better or different. And so the, from the candidate side. And so you're just like, maybe this isn't the right fit. So if the client needs more time, you know, what are some tips on communicating and keeping someone interested and engaged in the job because there are real sort of whatever approvals or budget things that need to occur in, in some time frame? But how do you keep that candidate warm? My philosophy is that clear is kind and unclear is unkind. So if you align ex- time expectations on both sides, both people aren't left waiting and both people aren't left anxious. So let's say, Dan, I interviewed you for a job this Friday, and I know that there are other candidates in process. That's okay for you to know that, but what's not okay is to leave you hanging on when you'll hear about closure for the next step. So myself as a hiring authority, Dan, it was great to speak with you today. I have to talk to my partners within the unit to see what next steps are going to be. You will have an answer from that within two weeks. So until then, I wish you a great day because that way at least people know what to expect. But again, I urge people, if someone's a no, tell them no now so they can move on and find a potential organization they would work for. It's not fair to keep candidates warm if you know you're not going to hire them. I 
once had a client wait two months to tell me someone was a no. What's the point in that? And quite frankly, now that candidate will never speak to that organization again. Yeah. And I think that's the key is, you know, the perception of that candidate is key, especially as you move up into higher profile roles. And this is so true in nursing. I was just at the American Academy of Nursing conference and everyone knows everybody. And so, especially in nursing. And so, you know, one bad interaction gets around real quick. And so to really, you know, know that it's not just the candidate you're managing, but it's also your brand image, which is a big piece of this. And so, like you said, be clear, be kind and set those timelines. Even if it comes that two weeks, you need more time. Just communicate. Like, I, I just feel like there's this weird... I'm afraid to talk to the person sort of mentality. So one other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, what do you think drives that 90-day plus timeframe? Is it really to just decision-making or are there processes that are so ingrained in healthcare that we just follow because we follow them that are, that are causing this that we may need to call out and really truly disrupt? I mean, I think that the biggest mistake is that people are waiting for that 100% fit even if they just interviewed someone that is a 98% fit for that role. You know, in your time vetting that 100%, you're going to lose that on talent that could grow into that gap. Perfection doesn't exist, but career development programs should. And like I said earlier, hire someone that's an 80% skill set if they are 100% culture fit every time. So what needs to be disrupted is, (laughs) again, Getting over the fear of telling someone no, it won't break them, but it will at least say, okay, they did it in a respectful way. How you say no is just important as how you say yes. And hiring authority and people in general need to learn that just because you might not come to an agreement, it doesn't mean it has to be disrespectful. You can respectfully walk away from something that doesn't work out. Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, from a hiring manager perspective, it's freeing to tell someone no because it's one less person you have to communicate with over time. It sort of lowers your workload and it's making a decision. It's, you know, when I was hiring in my last role, I was hiring a whole team in and I would try and communicate as early as possible, tell them no, at least give them some reason why there wasn't that fit, wish them well, tell them I'm happy to help in any other way. And then it was sort of, if it was freeing, it's like, okay, you know, I'm I'm on to the next thing. We're getting down to the top two or one or whatever. And it sort of felt like I was moving the process along. So that was the hiring manager experience. And then from a candidate being told no, it's sort of freeing as well. You're like, all right, I can move on now. I don't have to like hold on to this thing and hope and wait and wake up wondering if I'm going to get that email today and sort of, you know, release the stress and energy around that piece and move to the next thing. So I think just in general, we just, maybe that should be one, we should do a class together on 101, communication 101. Gladly. I will get on the tallest pedestal and teach that all day long. That's honestly, as a recruiter, that's my biggest ask the clients, just give us an answer as fast as you possibly can so we can move forward together. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's a candidate market at the moment. So each candidate's probably talking to two or three organizations for every role they've applied at yours. You know, what's the best way for hospitals to, or I should say hospitals, health systems, how can they attract the top talent? What are some of those key things that candidates are looking for? So consumers buy products from brands that they like and trust and employees interview and work the same way. Like you mentioned earlier, brand reputation of a company is everything, and it will dictate candidate flow. So articulating that includes not just talking about compensation, but the culture, the mission, the values of a hospital. So 
sure, competitive salary is a given, but compensation is not the main motivator for a candidate seeking employment elsewhere. People are looking for a new challenge, advancement opportunities, a purpose, and a stable organization to join. The marketing strategy needs to focus on not just what a hospital does, but what do the leaders practice? Those values can define organizational culture. And when hospitals lean into that and can advertise the human story of these healthcare heroes, potential hires will say, yes, that is the kind of system, boss, person I want to work for. And my job as a recruiter, that's all I do is I tell the story of a company on a national level. Why would someone else want to work there? And I never start with compensation. I start with what the company believes in. So if a hospital can tell their story everywhere to get their audience to like you, that's how they'll attract top talent. That's great advice. And something in my career too, I've learned the hard way, which is, you know, there's jobs that pay a lot that could be horrible and there's jobs that pay well and could be awesome. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to go for the shiny pay package and it blinds you to the core values of the organization. And I found if your values as a candidate don't match up with the values of the organization, it's a slog no matter how much they're paying you. And so to really do that assessment and to understand the story and understand the philosophy of the leaders, because when it gets hard, like in COVID, all of those true colors come out very clearly. And when times are hard, you want to be aligned with the mission of the people in the organization, not slogging through and hating every minute, but collecting a paycheck. So I think that's it's wonderful advice. So, you know, I've been I've been talking to colleagues and there's a lot of focus on recruit and retain, which I'm sure you're very well aware of. And some of these ideas that I'm hearing come out of these recruit and retain sessions are like, well, we need to offer nurses back massages during their shift. And what if we could provide the pizza cart every Thursday? Or what if we gave them gift cards to the Starbucks if they did XYZ thing? Do you find candidates are looking for those sort of startup-y Silicon Valley perks? And that sort of you know pulls them across the finish line? Or are they looking at that stuff? Because my bias is that nurses look at that stuff like, I can't, I don't even have time to pee. How the heck am I getting a back massage in my 12-hour <laughs> shift? So I would love so, to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> uh, my thoughts might be conceived as pretty harsh, but I don't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> um, those, those startup incentives like pizza parties and gift cards and insane sign-on bonuses, that will attract your short-term candidates. That is not a long-term solution to this unsustainable healthcare market that we're currently in. You know, the average turnover for nursing leaders is two and a half years. That's for leaders. For staff RNs, 70% of first-year staff RNs quit after the first year. So we need to find ways to retain these people, and it's not monetarily based every time. Again, is it part of it? Sure. But people stay with organizations where they feel valued where their voice is heard, and there is a chance to make a difference, not only in their personal world, but their professional one. You know, can this program develop me to become a leader and continue in this process? It broke my heart during COVID because so many healthcare leaders are burnt out, not just from their job, but from nursing as a whole. And so we can't just remind people that they're appreciated and valued when things are hard, we need to remind them every day. So my advice to nursing leaders is create that culture of letting people know how much you appreciate them 
by including them in meetings with hard decisions, by including them in projects where their say could feel very valued. Shared governance practices, including everyone. That's how you create a culture of retention. And unfortunately, until the retention budget is higher than your recruitment budget, I'm always going to have a job as a recruiter in this marketplace. Well, Krista, you're always going to have a job because you get it. But, but yes, agree. <laughs> Uh, but yes, and it comes down to, and this is where I sort of get on my pedestal too, which is, you know, the science of incentive and motivation. And, you know, you can read popular books like Dan Pink's book around motivation drive, right? And, and what they found is it's intrinsic, not extrinsic. So it's extrinsic motivators like a $10,000 sign-up bonus. Awesome. What's how long do I have to work there to get that? Okay, a year? Fine. I'll sign on for a year. That's easy for me to do. Collect $10,000 more and then go to the next sign-on bonus, right? There's no engagement in the organization necessarily with those type of things. So I think we really have to weigh that as hiring managers. You know, there there is something to kind of pull people out of the woodwork to get interested and then, but what's the long-term sustainability of that? And it's gone up and down in healthcare and throughout the ages. And it's just interesting to see we sort of pull these old tricks out and not really think about the fundamental system changes that need to happen because there's a lot of science on this stuff, why people stay and how they are motivated and what they look for and how they engage in that kind of stuff. And we sort of skip over that and say, we'll just pay them more. And survey after survey just shows that that's not always the top driver for these decisions. So, Well, and paying them more is the easy solution. The hard solution is changing the culture. You know, that's the actual hard work. Do nurses need to be paid more? Absolutely. But as leaders, we also need to do the hard work of how are we engaging our staff? Are they on a development program? Do they feel valued? Do you give them praise only on their performance report or just out of the blue? Hey, I noticed you had a tough day yesterday. I appreciate how you handled that. That can make or break someone's day. And also, when I talk to candidates that are having a bad day, nine times out of 10, it's because at their work, they're either feeling ignored or they're feeling bullied by their boss. And so that's when folks like myself swoop in. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> oh, well, I'm not really liking this new leadership. I'm wondering what else is out there. Well, by golly, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that I called because I have another opportunity. And people don't just talk to me when they're dissatisfied, but when they think the grass is greener, unfortunately, it probably is. And that's where I come in. I love that. And I will just reinforce that with my personal experience that almost every single one of my job changes was because of a leader that I couldn't believe in or resonate with. And so I think that's a huge piece. And I, I, healthcare is very bad about removing bad leaders. We sort of let people fester and don't understand the total impact of that festering. So we're getting to the end of our time, but I want to ask you one more question because I, you know, we have listeners from, you know, staff nurse, student nurse, healthcare leader, all, you know, the whole gamut. But when it comes down to nursing leaders and nursing leader roles, you know, what are some of the skill sets that employers are looking for over the last year or so coming out of the pandemic? Well, as I mentioned at the top, the top two requested skill sets, again, have nothing to do with competencies. It is effective communicators and healthcare leaders with a business mindset. You know, effective communicators can make or break the cohesiveness on a nursing team. You know, how well does that unit leader address conflict or concerns? 
Can this leader teach project implementation or lean into uncomfortable coaching moments? Now, I know the clinical competencies within the specialization are given, but the ability to clearly explain your key performance indicators in a way that showcases increased patient satisfaction or revenue generation or conflict resolution can make or break if someone is selected for a job. Now, as for the business-minded healthcare leaders, I'd recommend those who are undecided about their master's programs to choose continuing their education with an MBA versus a master's in nursing because healthcare is a business. It's a business of people. And hiring authorities are asking for clinicians that can apply a collaborative management style and leverage those skills to achieve business goals. So know that it takes a certain executive skill set to drive a strategic organizational vision, but it takes an effective communicator to execute that vision by getting buy-in from the leaders around them. Yeah, that's great advice. And I would even add on to the MBA side, which I think is valuable in, in many cases, especially if you're going into operations degrees like the master's in innovation. I'm just plugging because it's awesome. But the master's in healthcare innovation at Ohio State, which also has business design thinking, leadership, communication, influence. And so those master's roles that are focused on that clinical nurse leader roles is another one where it's focused on that relationship between people and the business side of healthcare, I think are always level ups that if you're going to go back to formal education would be great to consider. So Krista, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been awesome. I want to invite you back because I want to challenge all of the recruiting and uh, retention dogmas that we have in the healthcare system. But we like to leave the show with you know one thing you'd like to hand off. And so what is that one nugget you want to hand off to our listeners as we wrap up? Sure. So if you're a candidate interviewing in today's market, do it with intention. You know, find a company that aligns with your personal and professional values, and I guarantee you that you'll be happier if you just chose the location with the best compensation plan. But also remember that people just hire people they like. If you have the skills on the job description, but you're not a culture fit, they're going to pass. But if you don't have the skills, they can teach you those if you are a culture fit. We just can't teach people to change their personality. And if you're a hospital interviewing for a tough-to-fill role, untangle your recruiting process. Make it efficient with fewer pit stops and your fill rate will increase. My job is to recruit people for you, but your job is to keep them feeling valued and appreciated. Great advice, Krista. Thanks so much for being on the show. I know our listeners are going to be contacting you and finding you. So other than LinkedIn, which you're like queen of healthcare LinkedIn, where else can they find you if they want to reach out and connect with you about roles or just learn more about you? Absolutely. They can look me up on parkwoodinternational.com. So they can look at my firm and my agency and they can reach out anytime. I love it. And follow Krista on LinkedIn. She's hilarious. I don't know when the episode's going to drop, but in the beginning of November is her karaoke work, which you can't miss. And it raises money for great organizations. And she's hilarious at doing it. You can submit songs for her to sing. She'll do them, record them, throw them on LinkedIn. And so check that out. Krista, just thank you so much for the real conversation around recruiting and look forward to continuing to banter back and forth on social media. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Handoff. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe and receive new episodes at www.thehandoffpodcast.com.